Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories, brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Dave Shear, the host of Refuge Freedom Stories. Today, I'm here with Chuck Sheridan. Chuck is a biker. He's a pastor. He's right now in Mexico and running a church down there. How are you doing today, Chuck? Very well. I'm enjoying the warm weather. <laughs> I bet. <I'm laughs> no toques necessary. No, you don't need no hat, don't need no gloves, don't need no winter boots. <laughs> awesome. So your story, uh, I mean, we're going back now. This is about your story. Um, I've got notes here, something about when you were 16, you left home and hooked up with a biker community. Yes, sir. Yeah. What, I, what, what was that like? I kept running away from home and they kept bringing me back. When I was 16, mm. I ran away from home and they couldn't bring me back. And I shacked up with this chick, hippie girl. And I was already hanging around with the bikers in the community. And uh, that's where the girls were and that's where the parties were. So it seemed like a good place to be. It was the worst place to be, but for a stupid 16-year-old boy, it seemed like the best. Fell into the biker community quite well. When I look back at it now, I go, those guys were really, really good to me. A 16-year-old kid hanging around with a bunch of bikers. But he's cleaning out ashtrays and picking up beer bottles and taking care of things and learning a lot about motorcycles and learning a lot about things I shouldn't have learned about at a very young age. And, you know, when you're older, you look back and you think, I think I just kind of filled in the little brother position for a lot of them. Mm -hmm. You know, they looked on me like just a little brother. Um, One day I went to buy a part for a chainsaw I had, and there was a really cool machine motorcycle parked next door at a gas station. I wasn't into motorcycles. I wasn't into motorcycles. The biker lifestyle was about the girls and the parties, but this was a really different machine. And uh, it was a 45 inch flathead Harley Davidson made in 1945. It had already been chopped and that's what I liked about it. So I bought it. I didn't even know how to ride it. You know, I had to get a guy to come with me to ride it home for me. Then by the time I got home, I had a pretty good idea of how it ran. And it took off from there. I've owned all kinds of motorcycles. I have not owned a BMW. I have not owned a Laverta or a Motoguzi. I've had all the metric bikes and a few other models, makes of motorcycles as well. I love machinery. I love tools. And uh, that's why I bought that first Harley was it was different. It was unique. I was already associated with bikers already, but still mm-hmm. wasn't the best place. We were near Toronto. They were a patch club yeah. that I was hanging around with. Then I got into trouble and moved to a small town two and a half hours away and worked in a meat plant. And lo and behold, there was bikers there too. <laughs> Surprise. Can't run away from yourself. Can't run away from your problems. And changing geography doesn't change anything. You know, you just find yourself right back where you were before. So it was uh, not a healthy lifestyle. Not a good lifestyle at all. 20 years old and a doctor said to me, Chuck, you keep living like this. You're not going to make 40. So, yeah, you're uh, <clears throat> speaking of brothers. See, something about your brother. Your brother became a Christian or was saved and changed. Yeah. My closest friend is still my brother. He was the kid who liked to joyride and take cars for rides. And I don't want to say too much. And he had a bad relationship with a girl and owned the crisis line and came to know a pastor that way and came to Jesus. And one day he showed up at my house, no beer, no girls, and he was in his own car. 
<laughs> wow. And, yeah, that's what I was like, what happened to you? And he told me he was <laughs> born again. And so I was thinking that means that he will be in a bed sheet in the Toronto airport selling incense sticks. (laughs) And I found out it was not. And at the same time, this old man was telling me stories about hunting and trapping and motorcycle riding and homesteading in northern Manitoba. Uh, He was also telling me about Jesus and showing me scripture in the Bible and giving me these gospel tracts. And I wasn't reading them, but I was just trying to be honoring to the old guy. You know, he was he was teaching me some things I needed to learn about. So I was just being respectful. But he was starting to make sense with what my brother had told me. It was starting to come together. And one day driving home through the countryside in my truck, I just made a decision that God, if you're real, my doctor might be true and I might die. (laughs) And I know Mm -hmm. where I will go. There's a place called hell. I'm a candidate for hell. And I wasn't really convinced, you know, in the reality of hell or Mm -hmm. in the person of God. But just by saying that prayer, I became convinced because it was just like God had opened the door and got in the truck with me. It just shook me. And I I showed up at work and I I kept running into the same guys that I rode motorcycle with and the same guys at the meat plant. And everybody was sure I was back doing drugs again because I was just way too happy. But you know what it was, Dave, is I wasn't angry. I wasn't hateful. And I had peace that I'd never had before. If I could be anything, I'd be a salesman of this peace that I have. Now it's been 42 years and I still have this peace in my life that was foreign to me. Tell that time I prayed driving home in the countryside and God got in the truck with me. And since then, peace has been there. Not too many things that last like that, you know, or or experiences that don't just fade away. And that's a, a solid thing. So you went to Bible college, well, somewhere around the age of 25? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't my plan. It just kind of rolled along until it happened that way. My first two years as a believer, I went bankrupt, went divorced, and moved to Bible college in the first two <laughs> years. And I went as a single parent. Mm-hmm. I started at the Canadian Nazarene Bible College in 1982. Oh, so here I am, an older guy with a goatee and trying to learn to dress right and cut my hair and went to Bible college, dragging along a little daughter with me with a, with a bit of a past behind me and only a grade 10 education. And this was university accredited classes I was taking. Yeah. And, and the, the, the school was really, really good. And the pastor that encouraged me to go must have sent references they were really good to me and uh, they encouraged me they taught me they were patient with me they didn't baby me they were just patient with me mm-hmm. and uh, they brought me along in a real good way so uh, when i was in there the second year i met the lady who became my wife and we've been now married 38 years i think my gosh yeah, and i bet different. that time has just flown by eh? and and she she has a total different background and a total different lifestyle than myself mm-hmm. opposites attract you know yeah 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 <laughs> and so so she had to learn some things yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes I retired in 2016 from my first church, the same year I graduated my university degree that I started in 1982. So I took that long for me to 
get a four-year degree. Though if someone thinks you're a slow learner, I got them beat. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't become a pastor by design. It was more like the state of evolution that brought me into being a pastor. There was something... Somebody told me something about bike handlebars on a pulpit and your outreach to yeah. um, bikers in the community there. Uh, the whole pulpit thing was I wasn't too popular and keen on using just a music stand for a pulpit. And we were pastoring a church and found it out of our Bible study group. I didn't like the music stand as a pulpit. It didn't seem to be right. And actually, we were dumpster diving. Somebody had thrown some <laughs> motorcycle parts a dumpster bin and we jumped in and pulled them out and got the welder out and welded up a pulpit using the front end of a motorcycle and (laughs) that worked really well (laughs) it's still in operation now up in canada there's still that pulpit there i did have a horn attached to it an electric horn to start the service (laughs) off with we didn't blow a shofar or no horns or nothing we we turned on a horn that would come in handy (laughs) it did if they were falling asleep on me, I hit the button. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, we started a Bible study group in our home, and truckers and bikers and people out of jail uh, mm-hmm. coming to the Bible study group. And it wasn't long, and we were numbering 40 people coming for a Bible study. And half would stay in the dining room, jam in the dining room, and the other half would go to the rec room in the basement. So we had. Mm-hmm myself and another gentleman teaching we did everything you would in a church except instead of preaching i was leading a bible study and uh, that's how the church grew and finally i had to leave my real job and become a pastor amazing so you're in mexico how did how did you end up in mexico i drove here <laughs> we had, what drew you there yeah i think the lesson to learn out of this is uh, my mother's father was a minister and my father's father was a blacksmith interested in machines and here i am as a pastor in mexico now riding motorcycle hanging around with the local bikers here and making Mm -hmm. knives you see many winters ago one of my friends phoned me up and said, Chuck, after lunch, I don't have any work. Do you want to go deer hunting? I was pastoring the church and I said, uh, call me back after lunch. I'll see what my secretary says my schedule is. And I talked to her and she says, you have three appointments this afternoon and two of them you'd already canceled before. Wow. You can't, you can't do that again. And so when he phoned me back after lunch, I says, no, I can't go deer hunting this afternoon i have to stay here at the office and then i push back from my desk i'm wearing blue jeans i'm wearing riding boots i've got a t-shirt on and i'm at a desk and i thought what happened to me i'm supposed to be the boss i should be able to leave when i want to leave and i realized i'm a white collared ordained minister desk jockey how did this happen to me because I still regarded myself as a construction worker, biker guy. How did this happen to me? And I, I saw, Dave, that God has a purpose and a destiny for each life, and that he had now been working out in my life what he wanted from my life. He had a destiny for me right from the beginning, and he was accomplishing it because every day I was just getting up and doing what I should do that day. I did get deer hunting, but it wasn't that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chuck, uh, I'm familiar with the biker community myself. I, I know there's a lot of great people. I've a lot of times there are stereotypes, but where people are people, and uh, and some of my my closest people have been from that community. But there's definitely uh, a ministry there, and I'm so glad you're doing that. 
in Canada and now in Mexico. And the knife making too is, is incredible. You know, it's using whatever tools you have available to you that you're authentic about to reach out to people about Jesus. So you and me, we've yes. both seen people dress up, pretend to be bikers and try and reach out to the motorcycle community because it seems to be a bit of a fad. And oh, uh, gosh, the bikers really quick up that you're a phony. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I learned how to sharpen knives working in a meat plant. And then I used to just take my sharpening steels and my stone and I'd stand around on a street corner at Sturgis, South Dakota motorcycle rally and sharpen knives for bikers. And yep. now I got the sharp knife. I'd tell them about Jesus, give them away a gospel track or a bite to them. And my wife and I have spent a lot of time traveling, going to bike rallies and town fairs, just doing just exactly that. It's using mm -hmm. whatever you have at your hand in an authentic way, not in a phony way and yes. sharing about Jesus. So if I went and bought myself a fast race car and tried to pawn myself off as some car guy, <laughs> I'd fail and people would pick up on it. You use whatever tools God has put in your hands and you go That's use it. that to tell people about Jesus. Maybe you're really good at making pies. I don't know. Yeah. But God has made each of us unique with a purpose and he's put unique parts into us that we use. So you don't watch and say, well, what that guy's got going on is really cool. I think I'll copy him. No, you yeah. just use what God has made you for. <laughs> so I make knives and I sharpen knives. And this Saturday, I'll be sitting at a local market with Americans and with Mexicans. And I'll be sharpening some knives and giving away some Bibles, both to uh, English-speaking and Spanish-speaking people and telling them about the church, telling them about the love Christ has for them. And they look at me and they go, you don't look like the pastor, huh? yeah. <laughs> looking like myself. So Chuck, you know, I understand that you work with a, you know, a large uh, variety, a large background of people, different cultures, different backgrounds, and God has gifted you in that area. Could you elaborate on that a little bit for us? So I'm the assistant pastor here at this church, and it's uh, mostly Americans uh, about a third of them are Mexican, Spanish-speaking people, and the other two-thirds are Canadians and people from the United States. Some of them are uh, snowbirds. Some of them live here full-time. Interesting. So I, I preach and I teach a Bible study and do all the regular things a pastor would do. Awesome. Being a student for a few minutes of the people around you, just loving mm -hmm. on people and showing interest in people goes a long ways. And if you don't know mm -hmm. about the culture, have respect. I ask people a lot of questions about them and I show real interest in them because I'm interested, but it also helps not to expose that I'm stupid. <laughs> That's and interesting. And you're at, you're sort of seeing what you can learn from them as well as rather than trying to just broadcast what you know, you're, you're asking to learn from them. That's a gained in mutual respect. Well, usually at this point in the show, the story I ask, there's something you'd like to leave a message for our listeners today, something that would be impactful, something you maybe would go back in, if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self. The scripture that the man showed me that one night that I gave my life to Jesus was from the book of Acts chapter 2. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it, it's nothing special. It's just calling out to Jesus and saying, uh, Jesus, save me. 
save me from what? Save me from myself. Save me from sin. Save me from COVID. Whatever it is, Lord Jesus, save me. And that's all I did that night was just, Lord God, if you're real and if there's a hell, you better make yourself real today. <laughs> I'm calling yes. out to you. Save me. And he did. And then I found a Bible that some Sunday school had given me, and I was reading it through, and I came across this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And it says this, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things come. I'm not the same man I was. I'm a new creature. The old has passed away. It's gone. I'd be just as happy not to talk about it. But if it tells about the glory of what God can do to make a person brand new, I'm that. I'm that brand new person. Amen. It's a misconception many people have that God is still a God of do's and don'ts and rules and high standards that I can't live up to. And they understand the love of God in the same way that they know love and they've received love. So if a woman's been abused by men, trying to tell her the love of God is really foreign if she only knows the love of men who have abused her. Or if mm. people have lived under lots of judgment, then they think, well, God's just a God of judgment. And also I think people living nowadays in a lot of fear and anxiety. And that's why I'd rather be the salesman of peace. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing a bit of your story. I'm, I'm hoping that your ministry continues. And I know that you, your ministry will continue with the Lord, and especially in dealing with people. I see that humility in you. And it's just very appreciated. And you are appreciated. It's been wonderful to meet you, Chuck. And thanks so much for sharing today on Refuge Freedom Stories. You're welcome, Dave. It was nice to be here to chat with you. Have a great day. You too. Oh, something got a hold on me. Oh, something got a hold on me. Oh, something got a hold. Something got a hold. Something got a hold on me. Oh, something got a hold.
I hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.